Hi, it's Russ, and welcome to another episode of Women's Retirement Radio. Uh, today, I am really stoked to have a longtime friend and colleague uh, on this episode with us, um, Carl Richards, who uh, I have referenced his work many, many times in my newsletter and in my online writing. Um, and we'll probably talk about a little bit more uh, during the conversation. But uh, yeah, Carl's been a, a big positive influence on my career as a financial advisor over the years. So I'm really excited to um, have this conversation with him today. So Carl, welcome. Thank you, Russ. I'm really looking forward to this as well. Yeah. So I was uh, thinking back, I think, um, and, and I don't want to spend our time reminiscing, but I, I think we've probably known each other since, I want to say 2005-ish. Um, I left I left the big brokerage house in 2000, early 2006. And I think we spoke, I think someone had connected us along the way and we spoke prior to that. So I think we've got, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 years of, uh, of, of history between us. Um, yeah, no, I think that's right. I was thinking about that yesterday. Actually, I remember where I was um, the first conversation I was at the, yeah, I was uh, parked in a parking lot overlooking Las Vegas because that's where we lived at the time. So yeah, I think that I think that timing, I know I knew you when you were at the big brokerage firm. So yeah, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm again, super grateful for your time and the uh, opportunity to kind of share this conversation with our listeners today. So um, I think uh, a lot of folks will recognize your name and and your work, but uh, why don't you start by just telling us a little, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I, um, you know, sort of born and raised in Utah and uh, didn't know much about, I've, I've always sort of considered myself a, a kid from the hill, from the mountains of Utah and didn't really know much about finance or investing or money. And, um, and you know, just sort of through a series of really kind of fortunate accidents, ended up in this industry. Um, and uh, you know, that, that all started when my wife, I, we got married in 95 and, and she was a finance major and I didn't, I had no direction. So I just said, well, that sounds like a good plan to me too. So did that applied for what I thought was a security guard job. Um, it turned out it was a, a securities job. It was at Fidelity Investments. Somehow, somehow made my way through that interview, um, and got that job and, and it was it was at that job. It was like my first interaction with the public um, that I realized that this sort of the, the the job of helping people make financial decisions was not about I you know I sort of once I got over the fact that I wasn't a, a you know a security guard I, I sort of figured it was a, a a calculator and a spreadsheet job or a numbers job and. And that lasted all the way until my first interaction with a human, um, uh, you know, a, a client calling in. And, and I realized like it was, it was about behavior. It was about feelings. It was about, you know, my most important goals and my worst nightmares were all sort of wrapped up in money. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, probably, but that it's just the air we breathe. And so that's what kept me in the, the sort of industry, if you will. And, and that, you know, so then, then one thing led to another and I started, you know, I'd, I'd have clients who would ask questions. And if I got a question more than once in a week, I would just write the answer down and share it on this little, this little blog I started back. I don't know how long ago um, and called it the behavior gap. And 
I just kept doing that despite lots of evidence to the, to the <laughs> lots of evidence that I should quit. I just kept doing it. Uh, you know, no one was listening. I always joke that my mom and my sister were listening, but I found out later my sister was lying. It was just my mom, but I kept, I kept, just kept doing it. And, you know, sort of one thing led to another after a couple of years, somehow, well, I, I know exactly how it happened, but um, it was really random at the time. Uh, the editor of the New York times found the work and sent me an email. I have the email saved because I, nobody believes me, but it said, um, I love, I love this. Would you do it for us? And I said, yes. So that led to that column in the New York Times, which we thought we would run out of material, um, but we never did. So it ran weekly for 10 years. And then that led to the the book and the, the second book. And so that's sort of a little bit of background. I mean, really, maybe the most important part of that is what's kept me interested is the fact that money doesn't equal spreadsheets and calculators. It equals It equals feelings. And once we start to get our head around that, we realize that the emotional balance sheet is, is, is as important as the financial balance sheet. And, and learning to navigate that is endlessly fascinating because we're just not wired for it. Like as humans, we're just not wired for it. So that, that's what's kept me interested. So that's a little, little background. No, that's, that's, uh, that's super helpful. And I, um, you know, I feel privileged to have had maybe not a front row, but a, a close to front row seat kind of along the way. Um, I, I think, uh, I think I was, you and I were talking off and on like leading up and leading up to, and, and well beyond kind of the, what I think of as the launch of behavior gap and, and all you've done since. And and I know, I know the, you know, you've had the New York times column, the weekly column, and you've written, what is it? Two or three books now? Uh, it, two published. Yep. Two published. Um, and I, and I know, um, I know you're active, uh, for, formally as a, an advisor with your own clients and now kind of more as a speaker. And, um, I know you probably cringe at this terminology, but I kind of think of you as a thought leader, but, um, mm-hmm. in the industry, um, but what, you know, since I'm familiar with who you are and what you do, but for those that aren't that familiar, what would you, how would you describe what you do today? Uh, and I, and I, I know you do a lot of things, but if you had to kind of encapsulate what you do today, um, how would you describe that in, in, in simple terms? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it, it frustrates my wife and kids because I don't know how to explain it. Um, but I think the, you know, the closest is that I try to take, um, I, I love it really feels like my job is to kind of wander through the world and notice things. And then, then once I notice something, it's almost like I have a, I have it. We even call it the, huh, the, huh face, (laughs) the face I make when I'm like, huh, that that's interesting. You know, like, why did I feel that way? Like, you know, let me give you an example. Like I was playing a little experiment. This was a couple of years ago, but I was playing a little experiment for a while where I would be having a conversation with someone and I would just, kind of rather abruptly ask them a financial question. And often it was how much, Hey, how much did you make last year? Hey, just curious, have a question for you, Russ. How much did you make last year? And if you can imagine, if your listeners can imagine like being at lunch or chatting about work or business or whatever, and somebody stops and says, Hey, Sally, um, just curious, how much did you make last year? 
you know, you can almost feel that sort of like what you're not allowed. And so I, I, I would stop people before they would start stammering a bit. And I'd say, no, 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 no. I'm actually not really that curious. I mean, like, I don't need a number. What I'm curious about is what was that? Right? Like, what was that feeling that we had? Like, and where did it? So that's an example of wandering through the world and noticing. Let me give you one more example. I remember having a conversation with some friends from, I mean, these were friends from high school. And her name was Pam. And she ended up being, so she was a senior cheerleader when I was a freshman football player, right? So like, she was the coolest person on the planet. And way out of my league. And like, I looked up to her and just thought, you know, her and her friends, it was like untouchable. And turns out she ended up being later and a couple of years later, she ended up being friends with my wife and, and, or with the woman I married who later became my wife and, and her husband was friends with my wife. So we connected years later and they were still this way. Like, you know, it's like super successful, had everything going for them. And we were having a, we were at dinner and she said, they drove this old beat up minivan and there's nothing wrong with driving an old beat up minivan, but it didn't match the rest of the narrative. And my wife asked her about it, something like, Hey, how have you enjoyed that? And she said, well, we'd love to get a new car, but it's just not in the budget. And I remember like, this is an example of wandering through the world, noticing things. I remember thinking to myself, what you like that. I felt like a rule had been broken. Like I didn't know you were allowed to say out loud to admit that it wasn't in the budget. I was like, wait, I thought we all had an agreement that we were all going to play this little game where we all pretend like we can afford things and nobody talks about it. And you don't, you certainly can't say it's not in the budget. Like that makes you look like, you know, whatever. And I remember like, so that's an example of that thing. That was probably 15, that may even be 20 years ago. That's an example of something I noticed in the world. And then I just let it bounce around for a long time. Like I think about it. I think about the edge cases. I often go use Google Scholar, right? And see if I can find any research on it. Um, see if, if there's been any experiments or academic work, who else has written about it. And so I think of that as like a big ball of yarn, like a messy, like research, just nuance, edge cases, outliers. And then my goal, so you start out with an idea, you go into this ball of yarn, which I think of as complexity. My goal and what I try to do is come out the other side and say, you know, here's what that's about. And, and so a simpler way of saying all of that would be, I try to take complex things and make them a little simple, um, a little simpler. So would you, would you then go on to say that, that, that maybe from, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but from your perspective is, is the opportunity um, one of the big opportunities really just helping people kind of get out of their own way and, and, you know, stop over complexifying things to, to butcher a word there. Yeah. But I, I think um, largely as it relates to, you know, sort of your audience and, and people who are trying to navigate this world, like it, you know, this world. And when I say this world, I mean the world of just making a decision with money and this could be anything from, how you spend, you know, what kind of life insurance you need to how your, your, your money's invested. It's really overwhelming. Like it's, it, there's just so much information. It's only seems to have gotten worse because just the access to information and the flow of it and the speed at which everything moves, 
Um, and then I think on top of it, you've got a whole bunch of kind of mimetic desire problems. In other words, like Instagram has made things. It's, 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 hard, it's really just, it's hard to even figure out what you actually want versus what your parents may have told you you wanted or your neighbors want or your friends on Instagram have, right? So you, you pile all that together. You've got a very complex system that you're trying to navigate to make good decisions and really, really smart people. And so this is part of like one of my jobs as it relates to money and, and, you know, humans is like just to give, I've, I've made myself the self-declared king of permission granting. And one of the, my most common, you know, requests that I grant permission for is like, just to relax a little bit and know like you are not alone. That feeling you have of overwhelm, it's almost like, at least in America, and it's in most countries, but America's actually, it's, we've just spent five years living overseas and America's a pretty challenging place to even open a bank account, let alone a mortgage. And how do I invest and what's the difference? And so super smart, intelligent people. Sometimes you feel embarrassed and you don't, understand why you can't make make these decisions well it turns out it's like everything you touch it's like pulling on a piece of thread that just gets longer and longer so largely as it relates to people who might be listening to this i just want you to know like you're not alone like that that feeling you have of like a little bit of fear and anxiety every time you go to touch something related to your personal financial life let alone your investing life it's you're not alone and i think if we can first recognize that then we can get on to like, okay, how do I answer a specific question? I always have a rule, like you default to the simplest answer, you know? And, and so, yeah, I do feel like that's part of my job is to say, no, 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 no. It doesn't have to be quite that hard. I know it feels that hard and there are actual reasons it's been made that hard, but it doesn't have to be that hard. Let me sort of take you down this journey and, and show you an easier way. And I'm, well, first of all, thank you for that. I, I'm glad you mentioned the five years you and your family recently spent overseas. I'd like to come back to that if we have time. But, but first, um, reflecting back on your years as both an advisor and, and now as uh, I, I know you spent a lot of your time um, working with other advisors, uh, including myself. Um, but, but when you think back, what's, what's a favorite success story? And, and I've, I've I might call it a client success story, but it doesn't have to have necessarily been with one of your clients. But um, I'm curious to know what, what do you uh, what, what kind of comes to mind? And, and I also think this is helpful because uh, I'd like to see kind of how you frame success in the context of you know working with uh, a client or a friend or a family member or even another advisor. Yeah, there's two that come to mind. One is a, a client of mine. Their, their names were. I think these are common enough names that I can use them. Um, Dave, well, their names may or may not have been Dave and Diane. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Dave, Dave was an emergency room doctor, super busy, you know, wife was busy. She was a technology sales rep. And I remember one day, um, and you know, this is a fun story, particularly about the way you asked it, how you frame success. I remember one day Dave called me. He had moved to uh, work at a hospital as an emergency room physician at a hospital that was right in the sort of intentional. He'd moved because it was right in the mountains. 
Um, literally you'd walk out of the emergency room door and 50 yards, you were on trails that went up into the mountains and the trails were really well-known running mountain, you know, trail running and mountain biking trails. And he'd moved there specifically because of that access. And he called me one day from the trail and he said, um, Hey Carl, I just want to tell you an experience I just had. It's like, I went to, you know, I went to leave for my trail run during my lunch break and I walked past the break room and I looked in the break room and there were, you know, like two of my colleagues and a couple of the admin staff who I happen to also know, love trail running. They moved here for the same reason I did. And they were huddled around the TV and the financial pornography network was on, you know, the CNBC, I guess we, we call it. And he said, I, and I, I looked in there, saw that went on my run. He said, I got about a half an hour into my trail run. And I realized I used to be in there, <laughs> right? Like I used to be in there and I'm not any longer. Thanks. I'm, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, I'm smiling just hearing you tell that. That's that, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So that to me is like a massive, um, you know, just a, sort of a massive example of when we, when we can do this right, it stops being the center of, of our lives and it becomes money becomes a means instead of the end in and of itself. And it stops like we can get, you know, you can get your life back. So that that's probably my favorite story about, about success, but I could give you a bunch more. Yeah, well, if we have time, maybe we'll maybe we'll touch on another. So, yep. um, kind of kind of in that same vein of, you know, the doctor being able to go out and do something he enjoys while his colleagues were, you know, chained to the financial network on the TV in the break room. Um, could you maybe, without going into too much detail, but could you give us a little bit of color around? your family's decision to go overseas uh, a few years back. Um, what, what prompted that and, and what that experience was like for you guys, just, just at a high level. Yeah. Um, we really just wanted my wife. I mean, I, I, I do too. Um, but I know, I think we both are have just sort of an almost insatiable kind of a, adventure bug. And we, we just, you know, we had never lived outside of the country. I mean, she had, she'd spent 18 months living in Japan, but I'd never lived outside the country. Um, we'd always wanted to, and we just, you know, through it, it would be a very long story, but through a, a series of events, we just had a, a door open that was like, Hey, we could go spend some time. And we started exploring it like all things, right? Like we, this was not in our plans. It was not, no, no, no financial plan had this in it. Um, and it, it always, Every time I talk about this, I just remember the old saying that, you know, humans make plans and God laughs. And that that doesn't eliminate the need for making a plan. It just it just realized like the plan will absolutely be wrong. You just don't know why yet. And so we woke up one day and we're like, look, let's let's start exploring this. And and you know, it was like a five-year period. We were gonna go to France. We were sure of that. We went and visited. We even found a school for the kids, and then it just didn't work. We put it on the back burner for two or three years. And then New Zealand happened and it's a long story in terms of how it happened, but it, it, it was literally like from the moment New Zealand occurred to us as a, as a possibility, 10 days later, we had plane tickets. 
right? The plane tickets were for like three months away, but 10 days later. So it went from like, it had not been on our radar at all to we are going in 10 days. Um, and so then we went to, we went to New Zealand for what was going to be a one year trip. And within like, phew, I don't even know if it was a month, but I, it was probably more like two or three months. It was clear. There was no way we could see or have the experience that we were supposed to have in a year. So we just kept, we just kept staying and we ended up being there three and a half years four, four, three and a half to four years. And then, then my wife wanted to go to design school and she found a design school that fit all of her knee, you know, everything like her, she's, she's obviously not college age anymore. And, you know, like working, prof- like all of those things in London. So we moved to London for a year and I can do that because my job allow is totally location independent. But I do want to mention this because this comes up all the time, like financially, this was a, this was crazy, right? Like it was a, we did not like, I have friends who I know have more money than they'll ever need who say to me, like, I'd love to do that, but I just can't afford it. I was like, dude, we, we almost spent our last dollar doing this. And I would say it was the best return we could have ever spent. Like I, like I have no concern about that. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh man, that was really expensive. But most of the time I'm like, oh man, that was the, one of the best investments we've ever made for our kids, for us. So it was incredible. And opening up our eyes to how people in other parts of the world view money was amazing um, to just see. And again, I'm not saying right or wrong in any way. I'm just saying there, there are different ways of viewing this and largely like New Zealand, particularly it was just so quickly, you, you learn so quickly to just relax a bit. And I, you know, I think it's fair to say maybe sometimes too much, <laughs> but it was, it was definitely like, just relax. They have a saying over there. She'll be right. Which is just like, mate, she'll be right. Like, are you, what are you worried about? Like, relax. It'll all come right. It'll all be good. Like everything will work. And so that was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And I got to see tons of like, you know, Southeast Asia, Australia and, and speak and do work there. So I got to see how other people view other people handle their relationship with money. And it was fascinating to see the commonalities that make us all just human and the differences. So that was really fun. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. I, the reason I really wanted to highlight that is I, I talked to so many people and, and you probably have to that, you know, they make, um, you know, you referenced it earlier, make all these plans. Um, and a lot of them tend to be, tend to be like, you know, I'll do that one day or I'll do that when I retire or I'll, you know, I'll really do the stuff I want to do, you know, once I'm not working full time. Um, and I think so many people, just kind of fall into this kind of almost deferred life plan. Like they're, they're mm-hmm. going to really do the stuff they've always dreamt of doing, but it's going to be, you know, months or years or sometimes even decades down the road. So I, I think that's, I just think that's really cool that you guys, you know, took that leap and, um, and, and yeah, it, it sounds like there were some, you know, some financial, clearly some financial costs, but it sounds like the, the non-financial rewards were far greater. So yeah, let's let, maybe we can talk about this. I mean, this is really important. I think we are all delaying. Like I, the majority of us are delaying. We're so scared, so worried about what's going to happen in the future. And maybe that's right. And I maybe we've got 
we, we probably overdid it. We probably, you know, have erred too far on that side. I don't know. But I do know that I can't tell you how many, like I, this, it's not, it's not quite daily, but it's pretty close that this comes up where people are like, oh, we'd love to do just Yeah. Yesterday, one of my best friends, you know, that we've sort of seen again after five years. And she said, oh, we just admire you guys so much. We'd love to do that. And I, I it doesn't have to be, by the way. So I call it the thing, the thing, because I, I never like, you know, like art or living my best life. Like that's all too precious. I didn't, I didn't know about that. I just knew there was a thing that we really wanted to do. And I know everyone has a thing. And most of us have been conditioned to just jam that thing back down. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, it could be, it doesn't have to be moving to New Zealand, right? It could be, in fact, I did a column about this and I asked people to share with me. It was a permission granted column. I said, tell me what your thing is and I will grant you permission. I mean, I got 500 emails and some of them were like, I want to move to Ireland and write poetry. Like some of them were like that. Others were like, Carl, I just want to take Friday afternoon off to be with my daughter. Like we can't push that down anymore. Like permission granted. I can't tell you how hard it was to do this because we just continually, mainly the hard part was the fact that we weren't allowed to do it. I can't tell you how many times I said to my wife, who was the driver of this decision, luckily, that she really pushed to make this happen. I can't tell you how many times I said, Corey, no one does this. Like, who does this? This is so irresponsible. Like, those kind of words. Well, why? Because, no, like, I'm looking around saying, well, everybody else has their head down. They're going to work for 45 years and then retire and die two years later. So I'm just saying, it doesn't have to be dramatic. It could just be, you know, in the next... I'm the secretary of the soccer, my daughter's soccer club. And I take notes at these meetings and every meeting, I feel like I've got something to add, but I'm scared. In the next soccer meeting, raise your hand, right? You want to take Friday off to go, you you want a Saturday morning donuts with dad or like whatever those things are. I know you want to write a book. You want to start photography. You want to have the garden in the backyard. You want, somebody told me they wanted to have a, a, a fish store, an aquarium, you know, like pet fish store, like, Instead of cramming it down because no one does this, all I'm the way I like to think of it now is dancing with dragons. I think of the thing as a dragon because dragons guard all the cool treasure. They also breathe fire so they can kill you. So it feels dangerous. But if instead of like fighting with the dragon, instead of ignoring the thing, just dance with it just a little bit. Like next time it comes up, instead of saying, I'm going to go back to being an accountant to pick on accountants for a minute, right? Because that's like a super responsible job. What if you just wrote it down, right? And just said, I wonder what this means. What if you just made a little space? And again, it doesn't have to be heroic. It doesn't have to involve leaving your job. It might, but it doesn't have to. So I'm, I'm kind of thing agnostic. But what I'm not agnostic about is that we all need to be doing these things. The world is such a better place when we do the thing. And so that, that's really, really important to me. And it, it is, it doesn't, it feels tangential to money, but it's not at all. It's, it's, I think that's the purpose, like real financial planning to me is aligning your use of capital. And I think of capital as money, time, energy, and attention. So aligning your use of capital with what's really important to you. 
And if you think of this as a Venn diagram, there's often a, there's no overlap often, but both circles need work. Like figuring out what's really important to you is, is hard. Don't be surprised if you, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know if I have a thing. Don't be surprised because most people don't know, but I guarantee you, you do. It's just, we've forgotten. You had one in second grade. I promise you (laughs) until it got beaten out of you (laughs) by junior high. So all I'm saying is that this is exactly what I think of as financial planning. How can I do the thing I was put here on earth to do? And that thing does not have to be heroic. It could simply be, I want a better relationship with my mom. Whatever it is, just give yourself permission today. And if you need permission from somebody else, I'm the self-declared king of permission granting. I grant you permission. Go start dancing with that thing a bit. Just write it down. Make space for it. Things will happen. So anyway, I hope that I hope that's helpful. Sorry, Russ, that was a long-winded answer. No, that's super helpful. And, and in fact, it I, and I remember the exact column you're the permission granted column you're referring to. I something that came to mind as you were telling that story, though, is I'm curious, and maybe you did, but and I'm kind of saying this a little bit tongue in cheek. But did you get any replies from anyone about that column that said I want, you know, another? You know, if I only had another hundred thousand dollars, or if I only got another five percent a year return on my portfolio? Well, I I I got that answer from people who were using it as the reason they couldn't do the thing. But I got what I think your point is: there was a, a single person who identified that as the thing. Yeah, you know, like I just want a bigger portfolio. I just want a fancier car. I mean, some people it was like I really want to buy like a vintage Porsche, or I've always wanted to drive a Camaro, or whatever. But but uh, but no, it was mainly almost almost. I mean, with very few exceptions that I can't even think of, it was not object related. It was, it was experience related and often with people, with people that you love. Yeah. And that, that's, uh, I'm not surprised to hear that. I, I I think, I think you said it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, kind of really trying to figure out what's important or what the meaning is for the money, not, not making the money, the meaning, um, Yep. So totally. I think I think that's a great way to kind of underline or highlight that. Um listen, we as we kind of start to wrap up and and Carl, you and I could talk for hours. Um mm-hmm. what what surprised you most about your work over the years? <laughs> that's really funny. Like the first the first thing that came to mind was that anybody likes it. Um and, and I, <laughs> I I actually want to highlight that for a minute. Like I'm really comfortable with that, that, that I have that feeling and I've had it for years and, and, um, I know like, I, like I, I have kind of like, I've gathered the evidence and believe me, I even have a file. It's called the Stoke file. Um, it, but it, 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 I've gathered the evidence to, to, convince myself that that's not true. Like that people do indeed like the work, but it still comes up. And so that's the other interesting piece, just, you know, slightly tangent is like, I decided, in fact, I wrote a column about this. You'll, you'll now notice, like I'm really writing for an audience of one. It's like the things that I'm working through. And the column was you're fired. Um, And I was firing myself and everybody else from the job of deciding whether or not the work I was doing was valuable. Um, the, I decided it was no longer my job to decide that. 
whether it was valuable or good. My job was to do it. And that's the end. That was the end of my job to do it and do it in public, like share it, do it and put it in the world. That was the end of my job. Um, because I can tell you over and over that uh, I would say, I mean, this happens so often. It's silly. I would write a column that I was like, this is the best thing I've ever written. Like, this is going to be like, I'm going to get an award. I don't even know what award I would get, but like, I'm going to get the equivalent of a Grammy for this. And I would send it in and it would be like crickets from my editor or the team at the times they would post it, but there's not like nothing. And then I can't tell you how many times I came up against a deadline Thursday mornings. I would be like, I got nothing. I got, ab- Oh, geez. Well, this is terrible, but I'll just send this in. And it would be the best thing I ever, like the, the response would be like, this is amazing. And the, the editorial team would post it and they would share it. And feedback was amazing. So, so that's answer, answer, answer. Number one is that anybody liked it. Um, as it relates to money, the thing that surprises me most is how universal the challenge is. And that's, I pointed to that earlier. There are differences about how we use money in, in cultures around the world, but there are also some similarities that just are uh, striking. And one of them is just that money is emotional, right? Like it's, it's a, and, and that most of us don't, well, especially in, in developed Western societies, most of us don't acknowledge that we, we think it's a spreadsheet and calculator. And then we're surprised when we go to have a conversation about it. And it feels like an electric fence that we didn't know was electric. And so that's been really universally surprising to me. Like, gosh, it's so crazy that, and nothing's written about it. Nothing's done about it. Every financial app, personal finance book, you know, all, all they talk about ever is spreadsheets and calculators, like tactics and products. Nothing about this base level thing. That's like, it has to do with security, right? Like you wonder if you're going to end up under a bridge is your family, like your kids, your spouse, your partner, are they going to be okay? Right? Like, you know, have a medical emergency and you'll find out real quickly how interrelated money is to whether or not somebody's going to have the care they need. And this is all terribly unfortunate. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it's reality. And so that was really surprising to me too. Yeah. Every time you and I talk, I, I, I mean, I've, I've got a million questions running through my head, but uh, in the interest of time, why don't you, why don't you share another success story and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. Does that work for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, Yeah, this, this one's, so actually there are two, I'll, I'll tell you two short ones because they're both related. Like I had, uh, these are, these were clients and, um, and I'll just call them John and Sally. And um, it's funny, I didn't realize this, but uh, John was another ER doctor and Sally was, had, had always been really interested in pottery and she had, they had five kids. So she, she had a full-time more than a full-time job at home, but one of their big goals, well, first they had a number in mind. They wanted to have a certain number saved. And then as soon as they had that number saved, she wanted to build a pottery studio in the backyard and teach neighborhood pottery classes in her studio. And the number was pretty big. I mean, I think I, you know, nobody knows John Sally. It was a million dollars. 
right? And and this was pretty early in their career. And I remember thinking, wow, this is going to be, it's going to take us a while. You know, years went by, we just sort of set up a bunch of automated things. And they did an amazing job of saving, 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 saving. And, and then, the, you know, we had a little bit of a tailwind. The market did well too, but it was mainly their saving habits. And I remember the day when they called and were like, we, we did it. And I was actually unaware, which is kind of funny. You know, it was in between quarterly meetings or whatever. And, and um, I was like, what? And I pulled it up and they had crossed this million dollar mark that they were trying to save. And, um, and then, and, and by the way, I'm just going to mention something. It's so funny. As soon I, I, I just broke a cardinal rule of mine, which is using specific numbers because I've learned, you know, based on thousands of interactions now that as soon as you put a number on something, people get focused on the number and forget the point. And so do me a favor and don't worry if a million dollars is like, what that's, you know, like if that's an insane amount, because there are people listening to this that will think that's an insane amount. And there are people listening to this that will think like, that's it. So don't anchor to the number, like anchor to the point. They had a goal, they chipped away at it. They met the goal. And then the thing that I'm so proud of is they built the pottery studio, right? They built the pottery studio and they started, she started, uh, what did I call her? Sally. Sally started holding pottery classes. And then the last one is a, friend client of mine named Dan who got sort of like uh what's the right word redundancy got uh, laid off from his his job maybe five years before he had planned on retiring and so he was 50 I think he was 56 and the thing he'd want to do his whole life was learn to paraglide and so at 56 and we happen to live, you know, there's a paragliding spot here in Utah that's world world famous right by, you know, like 10 minutes from Dan's house. Learned to paraglide, went to Nepal to paraglide, came home telling me stories about paragliding in Nepal in this place where I guess there's these birds that have eight foot wingspans come up and fly next to you. These are just wild, you know, birds. It's not like a, it's not like a theme park or anything. So those stories, those are the ones that stick out. It's it's Dave on the trail, Denise in her pottery studio, and Dan flying with birds. Like it 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 has nothing to do with you know whatever performance or some portfolio size or yeah, of course all those things mattered in terms of meeting the goals, but it was the goals the the sort of experiences that matter. So those are my favorite stories from from working with clients. I mean, there 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 are like I don't know about hundreds, but there are a lot of those. And I think anybody who works with a real financial advisor understands, like it's a different world than like the people who are cold calling you, right? Like it doesn't even make sense to think about them as the same industry, even though we probably are sort of headed like umbrella under the same industry, the traditional financial services industry. But, but when we understand, when we switch from, it's no longer about products and performance, and it's about aligning our use of capital with what's actually important to us. And by the way, that's a never ending process. We hired a financial planner, uh, a new financial planner, like six months ago. And we, I'd realized the other day that like the plan will never be done because we'll talk on like a Friday in prep for a meeting on Tuesday and something will happen over the weekend where I'll call and say, Oh, things changed. And I've realized the plan will never be done. It's an, it's a never ending process of aligning 
our use of capital with what's important to us. So those are, those are my favorite stories. Yeah, those, those are all awesome. And, and I'm, I would love to hear more, but in the interest of time, um, so this is women's retirement radio. Um, my focus is, you know, women and their families as they prepare to transition to retirement. So with that general audience in mind, Carl, if there's one thing that our listeners could take away from our conversation today, what, what would you want that one thing to be? And then we'll wrap things up. You can do this, right? Like that audience, particularly I, my, my parents were divorced when I was eight. My mom's been single and I'm not saying you were focused on, on, on single women necessarily. I'm just saying I have a close connection to somebody who's been trying to navigate this for 40, what is that? 40, 40 years, 41 years. And recently have a, a, a close friend that her husband passed away at age 52 <laughs> in a basic surgery, there was a blood clot, like, right. Like I'll be home. I'll be home on Monday from the hospital, you know, that, that kind of story, terribly tragic, but I'm trying to help her navigate. These are smart, successful women, right? This isn't a function of not being smart. It isn't a function of not knowing your way around money. It's not like none of those things that we typically feel like kind of can hold us down um, apply. And, and yet still it's a lot to navigate. And so I just would encourage anybody listening to just realize like, no matter what your situation is, if you're doing this alone or together, if you have any experience or background, just know you can do it. Right? just sort of chip away at it, make decisions slowly, you know, trust your gut in terms of tr- trust your gut in terms of the people you trust. Well, Trust, but verify for sure. Um, but still just know that if you, even if you verify it and it doesn't feel like the right direction for you, you can trust that. Um, and so I really, I guess the bottom line is like you, you can do this. That feeling of being a little bit overwhelmed is totally normal. And, um, and you can do this. Just keep chipping away at it. Okay. Well said. Couldn't agree more. I think that's a great place to wrap up. I'll uh, I'll include links to your website and books, and I'll try to include the permission granted column uh, in the show notes. Um, but if anyone wants to learn more, uh, what, where's, where's the best place for them to go to learn more about you, Carl, and the work you're doing? Uh, the easiest thing in almost all that I do right now is is focused on my... I write a weekly letter about, about money. So if you just go to behaviorgap.com and get the weekly letter. It'll be delivered in your inbox every single Thursday. Um, so that's, that's, that's the main focus of what I'm doing. Yeah. And I, I, I would encourage everybody to, to subscribe. That's, that's one of the newsletters that I make sure I never miss. So uh, we'll mm, include a link you, to, Chris. yeah, we'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Carl, thanks. This has been, this has been a blast. I always enjoy talking to you. I appreciate uh, you making the time. My pleasure, Russ. Thank you for the work that you're doing. It's, it makes a difference. Yeah. And everyone out there, thanks for listening. Uh, Again, um, this has been uh, Women's Retirement Radio, and I look forward to catching up with you on our next episode. Take care. It's Russ again. And before you go, I want to provide a brief disclosure. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of return 
are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. I'm a financial advisor and an investment advisor representative of Wealthcare Capital Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor based in Richmond, Virginia. The views discussed in this podcast are my own and may not be consistent with or represent those of Wealthcare Capital Management.